Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I hope that you are doing well. Welcome to part five of my story. Um, That's what I'm going to be talking about today. I recommend that you listen to the previous ones for context. I hope that you're having a better week than I am. I'm just going to be honest here. I've had a rough week. Uh, (laughs) A lot of stress this week. I knew it was eventually going to happen. I batch record all of these episodes uh, a month in advance, and then I I edit them as I have time. And I went to go and edit this week's podcast, and I realized that I had saved next week's podcast on top of this one. And so (laughs) it was gone. And so I'm back in here to re-record this week's episode. So um, that's okay. (laughs) I probably forgot a few things anyway that I wanted to include. Some other things that happened this week. My husband, as you know, has been sick. We're in the process of changing doctors to a Mayo Clinic doctor because we have been really unhappy with his previous gastro doctor. And it took two months for them to get the records transferred over to Mayo Clinic. We just got them transferred yesterday. I mean, it's a digital file. I don't really understand why it was such a problem for the doctor's office to do that. Lots of calling them every day. We finally got them transferred. And then the Mayo Clinic says that they don't have any appointments in the next four months. So that would have been really helpful to know that before we started this process. We would have picked a different doctor. But we're trying to wait for a cancellation. Uh, meanwhile, my husband's in pain and yeah, it's, it's really hard to watch your family suffering and you can't do anything about it. Uh, I washed my hair last night and I noticed that my, my hair is thinning. Okay. This is my hair, what I've got left. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I'm losing my hair. I think it's from the stress level. Yeah. I'm under a lot of stress. We did have some rain, which we're very thankful for. Uh, We we got a lot this year, more than six inches, which is a lot for us. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, with all the rain we got, we get weeds. So I've been, you know, pulling weeds every weekend. And along with the weeds, we get bugs. And you know how I hate bugs. 
Now here it's like Empire of the Ants, Kingdom of the Black Widow Spiders, and a very sad version of the Scorpion King. Makes my skin crawl. And I discovered another insect yesterday as I was cleaning up the yard. So Monty, what do we have behind curtain number three? We have fat green caterpillars for you, Diana. They will nibble on your garden you worked so hard on to grow and strip your tree of leaves. Now, I usually make Brian do all the bug killing, but he has been too dizzy to be able to go outside very much. So I had to do it. It creates a lot of anxiety for me to do it, but it had to be done. And I'm trying to be so brave. Here's a tip for you. I got the sprayer out and I bought some new Psykick, which is spelled C-Y-K-I-C-K. That is an insecticide and it will kill any bug. But black widows and scorpions are really hard to get rid of. So that's why I have it. Um, but you have to be very careful where you spray it because it will kill bees and other beneficials. So if you're having trouble like me with the bugs this year, that's, um, that's something you can get online or any bug mart. I am learning to do difficult things this week, this month. How about you? Maybe there's something difficult that you have had to do that's out of your comfort zone. Uh, be brave. You can do this. Uh, I will have to mention, not all bugs are bad, though. We had a new visitor to the garden, actually a couple visitors to the garden, a praying mantis. I named him Slim, and I enjoyed greeting him each day when I went into the garden, along with the bees and and some butterflies that were really pretty. Um, so yeah, that's a positive thing. So this week I'm talking about my first couple years of Bible college, dating and um, Spanish church music training. Again, I, I tried to tell the story accurately without triggering anyone and protecting people's privacy. Well, the further I get along in my story, the hairier it gets. <laughs> I am being vulnerable here. You're going to hear about the mistakes that I've made. You're going to find out that I am human. I am not perfect. But stories are powerful. And you know what? Your story is powerful. When you tell your story, my friends, you look back and you see how God has brought you through events. And that is my goal, that you will get to know me, learn some of the lessons that I've learned, and be inspired. Uh, first, I'd like to give a shout out to Fleetsma, who subscribed on YouTube this week. Thank you so much for watching the channel. Got a couple others here that I'd like to give a shout out. Antoine Hanush was a Facebook follow. Rebecca 
Cole Hep, a WordPress follower. Best Spiritual Path, a WordPress follow. Edward Lorilla, 2144 Tower. Um, thank you so much for following my podcast, my YouTube channel. Welcome, welcome. And I certainly want to hear from the rest of you how you are doing and any comments that you have about the show, about insights into your own journey. So it's story time. I guess I will start off where we left off last week. I was on my way down to college, driving my car. Uh, my home church with Pastor Scott set things up with the school to find a job in a place for me to live since the school did not have dorms. I stayed with an elderly lady who I took care of. Now, she didn't go to the church, but she was a Christian. The jobs I had through school were a live-in nanny, house cleaning for a period of time, and I had this uh, wonderful family I cleaned for that became one of my mentors, a Catholic family with seven grown children. One was an astronaut that went on um, two of the space shuttles, and they used to feed me homemade delicious lunches and give me wise advice during college. They gave me a bicycle. Um, they are no longer with us, at least the parents are not, but I sure did love them and I miss them. One of those families that really made a difference in my life. Let's see what else I did. I worked for a local dry cleaner. I sold Cutco knives. You guys remember Cutco knives? <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why I hate sales so much now. Try selling expensive knives to your church friends. And my boss would be like, why didn't you get a sale? Well, they didn't have money for expensive knives. Then give them a payment plan. We take credit cards. You didn't create enough value. No, they love the knives. And my demo of cutting several layers of leather with a steak knife. But they just didn't want to go into debt to buy a set of knives. When you could just go and get a knife set for $19.99. Now <laughs> I still own a few Cutco items in my kitchen. I personally love the knives. But so I also got together with my friend uh, Jennifer Wood, who went to grade school with me. She went to a state college really close to where I was, um, where I was staying. And so I hung out with her on the weekend in her dorm, just getting caught up. So we had connected a few weeks back. So yeah, hello to Jen. Very good friend. So anyway, um, Pastor Scott was from the church that is connected with the school. He grew up there. And so he gave me this glowing recommendation to the school. 
So everyone was very nice to me and welcoming. And I had Kevin from my home church going to school with me at the same time. So at least I had somebody that I knew. The first day at the school in the church was like going to Disneyland. Everyone talked about Jesus all the time. Praise the Lord. Quoting Bible verses and praying for their food. You know, I thought it was a little strange that the people did the, the thumbs up game to see whose turn it was to pray. <laughs> I always volunteered to pray because I thought that was really immature. <laughs> now, I found out the hard way that everyone was wearing a mask in some sort of fashion. Not like the masks we're wearing today, those proverbial masks, hiding our true selves from people because we are afraid of what they're going to think of us. You couldn't really be yourself. You had to pretend to be this perfect person. So if your dog died or something else equally horrible happened, you were never supposed to say anything negative or look like you were sad. I think it was Kevin that told me that no matter how bad things are, you should still say, praise the Lord when anybody asks you how you're doing and be grateful. Well, yes and no on that. I think that's more like stuffing your feelings and being fake. It's not healthy to deny that you're having a bad day or that you're grieving for someone. I mean, you've heard me talk about my bad days, people I've lost. It doesn't mean that God isn't good. It just means that you don't have to plaster this fake smile on and shake hands for appearances. Well, the first people I met were the pastor of the Spanish church and his wife, who was my voice teacher. And they looked like the perfect couple. More about music lessons later, but I received a very warm welcome. The church choir was really good. They had a full orchestra and a choir led by a very talented director who was a tenor. Naturally, I joined the choir. I then met the Dean of Students, who was also the leader of the singles group with his wife. And I met Sharon, who was a bus captain who needed help on her route. So I volunteered. If you're not familiar with what a bus minister is, that's when a church sends buses into the nearby neighborhoods to pick up kids and sometimes adults to bring them to church. And we sang songs, we played games, and we handed out snacks. We'd visit them at home on Saturdays to get to know them. 
Now, usually these kids' parents were happy to have a babysitter for the day. So we didn't get too much resistance. Sharon did the lesson and I did the songs. When they'd get off the bus, we would parade them to the other end of the church property to the junior church building for their own services that were custom made for them. I did teach some lessons in children's church at times. We all rotated teaching those lessons in junior church. And Sharon spoke Spanish pretty well, and she was also very proficient in American Sign Language. It's not a surprise that today she is a missionary's wife to Puerto Rico. The college was small, but very focused on one specific major, which was church planting. All of the classes were geared towards either being a pastor or a missionary. And there were classes for the missionaries' wives too. So I worked during the day and then drove to school at seven o'clock. We were in classes until about nine o'clock I then drove home and started on homework until midnight. That was every weekday evening except Wednesday, which was midweek services. Students were required to go to all the services. Saturday, we either went door knocking, cold calling, or bus visitation to get more kids. And I look back on picking up kids and not having any paperwork or permission slips for the parents to sign. Parents just trusted us to return their kids at the end of the church services. I can't imagine doing that today. So Sunday was not a day of rest. Just being honest here. <laughs> We get up very early to go to the church, to get on the buses, pick up all the kids, do children's church, put them back on the bus to take them home, go get something to eat, maybe take a nap, do some homework, and then go to choir practice before the evening service. Sometimes they'd have an afterglow singles activity. Then I'd get home late to study. Whew, yeah. And then you get up Monday and start all over again. And we had a lot of students from sister churches in the area. I had a Dominican gentleman that was behind me who spoke French, Spanish, and American Sign Language. One night he was talking to another student next to him who was Japanese, but they were both speaking Spanish. <laughs> and I turned around really confused that he wasn't speaking Japanese. <laughs> and I found out he was from Peru, which had a history of Japanese immigrants during World War II. Now he would become a really good friend and his best friend would become my fiance. So we will call the Japanese friend Miguel, 
and his best friend we will call John. Now, this was a four-year college, and I took all of the Bible doctrine classes, hermeneutics, church history, Bible study methods, women's ministries, Old and New Testament survey, English grammar and composition, business math, world history, soul winning, Baptist history, creationism, we had guest teachers come and teach, usually missionaries when they came to visit the church on furlough. I really felt that the teachers were excellent. They taught us the foundational principles of the Bible in Christianity. I still have my books and my notes from college. The teachers had practical experience in the ministry and were well-versed in scripture. They taught us how to study the Bible ourselves. Albeit my denomination would probably have frowned upon other viewpoints or sources outside of fundamental Baptists, I really didn't remember any weird or severe teachings at the school. The dean required us to turn in a report every week about our Christian service. It's kind of like a lab. So you had to report on who you witnessed to that week, or who you brought down the aisle, or who got baptized. You needed to report on a sermon that you read separate from the church services, mind you and tell a story about how God blessed you this week, signify that you were in all the services that week, and that you were serving in some church ministry, and that you went soul winning this week. So all of this on top of work and school classes. Now, the ladies' classes pretty much taught you how to be a missionary or a pastor's wife. You got public speaking experience, teaching experience, and some legalistic standards on what a woman or a minister's wife should be. They taught about time management, raising kids, taking care of your husband's needs, running a household. A whole lot of Proverbs 31 stuff was thrown at us. To this day, I don't like Proverbs 31. I mean, nobody could live up to that. One of the ideals I remembered being taught went like this. Your husband is surrounded by beautiful women all day who take care of themselves. You should never let your husband see you in curlers, a mud mask, or your hair not done, or without makeup. You should get up before him and get yourself prettied up before you go and make his breakfast, pack his lunch for work. You should freshen yourself up to look beautiful before he gets home. Maybe take a nap so you have energy for him. 
Well, I don't think that's realistic for a lot of women, especially if you have kids. I mean, I don't think that we should be dressed as slobs or anything or not do any basic grooming for yourself, but the lady that taught this class was the dean's wife and she wore a dress and high heels, had her hair done up really nice. She had three kids that she raised. And she certainly practiced what she preached on the appearance, but I could never do all that all the time. We pretty much had to wear dresses and men wore suits and ties at all church functions. It even went further than that. So it was a very distinct memory in my mind. I was really cold during the winter and snow. I wore thermals under my dress and I had Wolverine boots on because I was out in the snow waiting for the bus. Those Wolverine boots were the best. They were waterproof. They had slip proof bottoms and they were warm. They were not very pretty though. <laughs> I came up to school and I walked into class and the Dean's wife did not like that I had thermals underneath my dress and that my boots weren't ladylike. She expected me to come in high heels with pantyhose, neither of which kept me warm in the cold. Men were not allowed to have beards. One of our guest missionary teachers that is now a missionary in Paris and has planted churches in Uruguay and Peru, he had a beard and he was the only one in the school that got away with it because he knew which verses to quote about beards. Anyway, hair color. This was another thing that was a big memory in my mind. Now the couple from my home church that was my mentor that paid for my music lessons and paid for some of my school tuition. They also said that my bottle blonde hair was worldly. So they insisted that I turned my hair back to my natural hair color, which is what you see now. My hair is virtually the same that you see now, except it was blonde. I've got photographs. <laughs> uh, they also told me I shouldn't be wearing any makeup because I looked Egyptian. I wore the same amount of makeup that I do now. Okay, I have some eyeliner on and color on my face because I am very pale. <laughs> I went to ask both of my pastors if I looked worldly. And they both said, no, you don't look worldly. But since they were helping me to pay school tuition, helped me with my car and voice lessons, then they said that I should do what they asked. So 
My mentors paid for my hair to be stripped of its blonde color and re-dyed brown. That took three trips to the salon to do that. And that ruined my scalp for life. <laughs> I still have problems with my scalp. Anyway, I decided to yield in that situation because you have to pick your battles with the school because I know that other people went through much worse in Bible colleges. I know that now, but I didn't know that then. I was just trying to do what I was told. I was trying to be a rule follower, um, trying to tell me how to do my hair now or how to dress now and see what you get. <laughs> So we're going to talk about the singles group. Now all the singles are expected to be in the singles group. But you know, they always seem to be doing activities that cost money that I didn't have. I also had homework to do. And singles were pressured to get married pretty quickly. So if you sat with somebody at church, that signaled to everyone that you were dating. But no physical contact except shaking hands. If you were engaged, you could hold hands. So I didn't go to that many singles activities unless they were free or low cost. I honestly, um, I was exhausted most of the time and didn't have the energy to do a whole lot of dating or a whole lot of socializing. In my first year, I did make the dean's list. I got straight A's the first year, so that's why, because I didn't socialize a whole lot. My aunt said that I would meet a nice Christian man in college. Well, later, I did date some guys one fellow was a friend of my cousin's. He was around when I got saved. I was very close to his family and I visited often on my school breaks. He was serving in the army. So when he came home on leave, he always uh, wanted to go and make out on the couch in the TV room, which was in his parents' finished basement. And I told him I didn't really want to do that because it was too arousing. He seemed to be of the opinion that, well, we should learn to deal with those feelings instead of ignoring them. And we wrote letters back and forth when he was in the army for a while. But in the end, he decided he did not want to date me anymore when he found out I wasn't a virgin. <laughs> uh, he said he wanted to marry a virgin like he was. So that was kind of disappointing. I really liked him and his family, but I respected his choice. Then I sort of dated a guy who was in the boss ministry and the Spanish ministry. I sang in the church choir with his mom. I was really interested in dating him, but he said he just wanted to be friends. 
So, okay. And I was really confused when he kissed me on the porch when he gave me a ride home once. And I said, well, did you change your mind about dating me? He said, no, it was just a work of the flesh. And he kept doing stunts like that until I figured out that he was just a player and was just using me. Yeah, that's my introduction to dating Christians. So my Japanese friend soon introduced me to his best friend, John, from Peru. And we are going to hear more about him in the next episode. So I wanted to go back to my voice teacher and the start of my formal voice training with her. Her name is Becky. So I started formal voice lessons and piano training. I always wanted to learn piano, but I never did. I remembered the joy of being able to play with both hands at the same time after probably six months of lessons. All I had to practice on was a little keyboard of, I don't remember if it was two octaves or three octaves. I guess it was better than nothing, but I would try and practice at the church with an actual piano with the weighted keys and the foot pedals. I learned more music theory, which helped me with sight reading. I really loved the singing part of the lessons. I liked singing as much as I loved eating. <laughs> I still do. I learned about formal warm-up exercises, breathing correctly, diction, singing in foreign languages. I loved learning oratorios like Handel's Messiah. And I got lots of opportunities to perform at church. I sang an English-speaking church and a Spanish-speaking church. You know, a Spanish is easier to sing, actually. Less consonants to deal with. The one thing I didn't learn was stage presence. Now, in that church, you just stood at the pulpit and sang with your voice directed at the pulpit mic. You were never allowed to use one of the handheld mics. The only one that got to use the handheld mics was the choir director and Becky. Because using handheld mic was considered worldly. You weren't allowed to do any meaningful arm movements or facial gestures. That was worldly too. You did not move around the stage. So if you look on my YouTube channel, um, I have some vintage videos on there of me singing with a poker straight body and a face singing a song that's supposed to be exciting and animated, like the Easter song. And, you know, I don't have any face to back it up. <laughs> Oh, happy day. <laughs> Not looking like it's a happy day.
And I remembered being scheduled to sing for the first time in church. I had to audition in front of the choir director. When it came time for me to sing, the choir director did not call me up on the platform. And I had no idea why. And so I asked Becky during lessons. And she told me that it was because I had culottes on. They weren't really culottes. It was actually like a split skirt. If you're familiar with those riding skirts that, I mean, when they're standing up, it looks like a skirt and then it has a slit down the middle so you can get on the horse. So it was a pink split skirt, actually, that one of my friends at the church had sewn for me by hand with a matching vest, and that's what I wore. So I really loved that outfit, so I complained that, well, I wasn't immodestly dressed. But she said, well, you were too casually dressed for church. So, yeah, the church focused a lot on the externals. Um, I cherish the times that we were at lessons. She paid for my piano books at times when I didn't have the money. And little did I know that she struggled a lot financially, too. I told her all my petty problems. And it was good to have someone to talk to. Although I didn't know at the time that she was being sexually assaulted by her father-in-law and being abused by her husband and the church. I actually didn't find out till recently. Anyway, I was much better at singing than I was at the piano. That is still the case today. I have to work really hard to get the piano playing to sound good. And Becky only let me play exactly what was on the sheet music. So I never learned to play by ear, which I do regret that. I think it's a really valuable skill to have. My second piano teacher, Paul, later in life, taught me how to play by chords. That's what we call fake book style. That means you play the melody line on the right hand, and then you play the chord, the chord chart on the left side. And I do much better with that. So a, a big event happened during my college years. I went grocery shopping for the lady that I lived with. The grocery store was across the street from where we lived. When I came out of the store parking lot, this big boat of a car driven by an old guy T-boned me in the parking lot, spinning me 180 degrees. I was fortunate to have my seatbelt on, but it totaled my car. Now, I didn't get in the ambulance because I felt okay at the time. Of course, the insurance company said it was my fault. I didn't stop, even though the driver was on an access road when he hit me, and I did not have a stop sign. So insurance didn't pay for my car to be fixed or replaced. 
So I was without a car. Then when I started getting stomach aches from the seatbelt and the whiplash a couple of days later, I went to visit a doctor and he told the insurance company that I had the flu and it was not the seatbelt pain. So the insurance company didn't pay for the medical bills either. Yeah, I was shafted pretty good. So I had to learn to either take the bus or get a ride for about two years until I got another car. Now, I was in a big city that had a very good public transportation system, but it still took me 45 minutes to get to school. And then I would have to beg a ride from someone on the way home. Uh, the buses didn't run the other direction at nine o'clock at night. Now the school didn't really enforce the rule of not riding alone in cars with the opposite sex. Lucky for me, otherwise I would have had to hail a cab, which we didn't have Uber. Cabs were very expensive. Uh, this was before cell phones too, so. I barely got to school on time. I, um, you know, would run up that hill because <laughs> the school is on top of a hill. I would run up that hill. And um, if you were late, meaning if you were in the door at 7.01, you were, you know, you were late and you weren't allowed to take the test. So that meant you had to do the makeup test on your own time. So the teacher would make you wait out in the hall while everybody else took the test and then you could come in for uh, the lessons. So yeah, I learned really fast never to be late because trying to get to the school to make up that test was an extra difficulty, let me tell you. And I was late to music lessons, taking the bus. I would stand out there on the corner and the bus would go right past me. <laughs> it had done that more than once. It's like, hello, I'm standing here. You didn't see me, you just went right by me. So I would have to wait for the next bus. So I would be 30 minutes late and my teacher would be like, why are you late? And I said, well, the bus went right past me. Anyway, I got some extra jobs cleaning houses to make ends meet, save up for a car. Uh, I was given a bicycle, as I mentioned, but luck would have it. It was stolen. I actually had more than one bike in college and it was stolen. Even if I had two bicycle locks and someone monitoring the grounds, they always disappeared. Yeah, life wasn't fun at that time. I did have two opportunities to take missions trips um, to overseas. Uh, the first one that I took was to Puerto Rico. I have great memories of that. I was actually looking at the pictures this week. I took 12 rolls of film. This was the first time I had been out of the country 
In those days, it did not require a passport. And yes, it was 12 rolls of actual film that you had to develop. <laughs> but it was neat looking at the memories of that trip. Actually, three of the Harris kids, um, Kevin's siblings, went with me with a bunch of other singles from my home church. I think that, let's see, it was Kevin and his two older siblings and Sharon, who I mentioned that spoke Spanish. That's where she met her husband was from this missions trip. Yeah, and a couple of the singles. And we went there to help two of our missionary families that we supported. Um, a, a father and a son both started two separate churches, one in Hayuya and the other in Utuado. One was in the mountains and the other one was near the coast. And we had wonderful memories of the van sneaking up those mountains. I mean, it was definitely an S-curve and a missionary would drive the van because you had to be really skilled in driving on those mountains, which were very narrow. <laughs> uh, so we helped to, to build the actual church building itself, laying bricks and, you know, nailing plywood and painting and all the stuff that goes into building. Uh, I think three or four of the guys were actually good at masonry and, and good at laying bricks. They have done that before with their parents. That was a very valuable experience. Uh, we also sang in Spanish. We gave testimonies in Spanish. We passed out tracks. We went sightseeing. That was the first time that I had seen the Mediterranean Ocean or Mediterranean Sea. But I only got to sink my feet into it. We visited a bunch of beautiful waterfalls and watering holes. But the, the thing was that only the boys were allowed to go swimming and the girls watch them swim and it was 98 degrees out very very humid in puerto rico uh, we stayed in a campground on a coffee plantation which was pretty interesting it was quite a drive we got stuck in the mud with the van and some of the pictures i have show uh, Kevin and his brother and a bunch of the guys pushing that van out of the mud. <laughs> and we encountered lots of bugs. You can imagine bugs in a foreign country. Uh, we did some fun stuff. We had uh, archery bows and we threw darts and did fun stuff like that. But yeah, I was really disappointed we didn't get to go swimming because, I mean, it was Mediterranean. But the Independent Baptists do not believe in mixed swimming. Uh, so there's that. 
Anyway, that was a very memorable trip. And then the second trip I went on was to Ottawa, Canada. And in, in fact, it was in the same neighborhood that Pastor Al Deschino lives in. He told me he lives right down the street from this church that we went to help, that we supported. Isn't it a small world? <laughs> so we were in um, this town called uh, Carleton, I think it was. And about the same people went on this trip to Ottawa that went on the Puerto Rico trip. Uh, Kevin went and his sister went, I believe. And the same, pretty much the same singles went. And we stayed with families, the church families. They split us up. So it was a little less adventurous, meaning we weren't sleeping in a campground with bugs. Uh, <laughs> so we went to help the pastor go door knocking. And of course we sang songs and we gave testimonies. Uh, we had a wild time getting across the border. I was telling El Deshino this story uh, when he was on the show before we started talking. This was before we needed a passport to get even into Canada. Well, I had pepper spray in my purse and we pulled the van up and the security or the border patrol asked us if we had any weapons on us. Now, I knew that they had dogs and they were going to search the car and I did not want them to find that pepper spray if it was not allowed. So I was honest and I said, I have some pepper spray, sir. And so, of course, they had to empty the van out. And, of course, everybody was like, oh, Diana, why did you have to tell them that you had pepper spray? Now we're stuck here for an hour while they searched the van. This was in, let's see what year was this. This was in 93, I think. Yeah, so before any kind of international problems, they were still pretty tight on their border security. So they made me take the pepper spray, walk across to the U.S. border, empty the pepper spray into the trash, and then walk back over to the Canadian border and showed him that it was empty and then throw it in the trash. And then the Border Patrol asked us if we were a professional singing group because one of the guys went with me for safety reasons, went across the border with me to do the emptying. And we were singing a song that we were practicing to sing in the church. So this Border Patrol guy was all suspicious that we were this professional singing group for some reason. I said, no, we're just a church group and we're singing some songs for the service tomorrow. 
So after about an hour or so, they let us go on our way. <laughs> well, we got to go to Niagara Falls and got to see, I guess, the Parliament Building in Canada, and that was fun. And we went to Quebec, and I spoke French because I had studied French in seventh and eighth grade and through high school. And so everybody wanted me to ask somebody to stop somebody and ask in French where a good restaurant was. And so I did. I don't remember if we went to the restaurant or not. I think we just went to McDonald's, <laughs> to be honest with you. I hear that Quebec has really good food, though, from some of my Quebec friends. Anyhow, that was our trip to Ottawa. So we're going to go back to college. For the most part, I think it was a pretty good school and the church was one of the less extreme churches that I would be a part of. I've been a part of 17 churches in my lifetime, some of which I planted myself, some of which I've been a member of. But some of the things that I did not like about the school and the church were, as you have seen, they were very focused on outward conformity, whether it was biblical or not. And yeah, there's sometimes that we need to comply with a dress code, but sometimes it goes too far. I remember a bus kid that uh, was very promising. He gotten saved and was part of our Spanish church. And he wanted to be a preacher boy and really nice young man. He was the only moneymaker in his family. He was a very poor family. I believe he was in a family with a single mom and some siblings. And so he had a job, but he really needed a car to get a better job to support his family. I think he was 16. And this is the problem with outward conformity is that he had enough money to either get a car, not a fancy car, mind you, just a car that would get him to work without relying on somebody else for rides or to buy a new suit. And I don't understand this whole thing with the suits, but they pressured him. Well, you should get the suit because, you know, then you'd look like a real preacher. I mean, it, that just floored me. It's like, okay, if he got the car and a better job, then he could go and get the suit later. But there was all this peer pressure for him to look like a preacher's kid. I don't understand why. Well, you guys couldn't take a collection up and buy the kid a suit? You couldn't take him to Goodwill and get him a good suit. I shop at Goodwill all the time. You can find some really good clothes if you're looking for it. Anyway, yes, they 
pressured him into buying this suit instead of the car. And that really disappointed me because they were just focusing on the wrong thing. He gave him the wrong message. Um, other things that really bothered me was the only real diversity that we had besides the Spanish church was the bus route. We had all kinds of kids from all different walks of life. And well, the kids were definitely welcomed. I never saw them being treated poorly. They were welcomed and loved and bus captains um, developed relationship with these kids. Uh, it just was, they were never allowed to walk through the church building. We had to go around the main church building because the bus kids didn't have what you would call church manners. Uh, they had, we had our own building that we conducted junior church in and um, they weren't quiet as you can imagine I mean just being kids you're not quiet but if you're not raised in the church you didn't have your parents coming to church to teach you how to sit quietly in church then yeah it was pretty crazy <laughs> uh, trying to wrangle those kids and get them to sit still for two minutes while uh, you're trying to teach an object lesson. <laughs> but they were, they were awesome. They were wonderful kids. Some of them grew up to start their own bus routes and um, get married in the church. And some of them became missionaries themselves. So it was a great investment into those kids' lives. But the church was definitely had a racist streak in it. Uh, the pastor and the pastor's son who ran the Spanish church both went to Bob Jones. And Bob Jones is notorious for uh, losing their 501c3 status because they would not allow interracial dating or interracial marriage. And there was um, also a couple in the church. There was a, a white fellow who wanted to marry a, uh, a black lady in the church. And the pastor refused to marry them. So this couple, who were very godly people, one of them was a bus captain who we loved had to go down the street to the Presbyterian church to go get married. So I did not, um, I did not approve of that. <laughs> anyway, that's one of the problems that I, I had with the church. Um, but I had lost my, my job. I actually lost more than one job because taking care of elderly people and child I took care of children the jobs would end from for one reason or another and I would be out of a job not only I would be out of a job I was out of a place to live because I lived with the people I took care of and so I'll have to say and give credit to the church because 
many of the church members opened their doors for me to stay in their homes um, and use their cars. More than one family um, let me into their homes. And I was very grateful for that. They helped me through a really hard time and they prayed for me and they gave me job leads and they gave me recommendations. I really made some great friendships in that church and in the school. And this was only the first two years of my school time. Uh, I will, in the next episodes, I will be talking about my other two years of my college education. Um, that was the other thing that irked me, which I, I may mention again. But I, I graduated, when I graduated, they would only give me a Bachelor of Science in Christian Service. That is what it is on my degree. Now, they would give the men Bachelor of Science in Pastoral Theology. So I know this is hair splitting, but I listed all the courses that I took in the beginning of this episode. I took the exact same courses that the men took. I passed all of the same exams, memorized the same verses, and did the same ministries that they did. The only class I was not able to take was pastoral preaching, which, as I explained, we had a class for the women, for the missionary wives, and the pastor's wives, for uh, women speaking and women teaching. So I earned the equivalent of a pastoral theology degree, except because I'm female, they didn't want to put that on my degree. They gave me Christian service degree, which I wished that the title of my degree reflected my study. Probably should have been like, overseas missions or theology or something better than just Christian service that sounds so generic and sounds like I just took Mickey Mouse classes. But yeah, that's a rant. But try and get a secular job with that degree. It is difficult. The only time that that Bible college degree came in handy for a job was when I went on staff at a church which you will hear about later in future episodes. The next episode next week will be, I will tell you all about my engagement to John and what happened there, some lessons. <laughs> so that would be my, my story and my rant today for the first year and a half of my college years. I appreciate you showing up each week for, for these stories that I'm telling. I'm hoping that they give you courage to tell your own story or to learn some things that I've gone through. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. 
Hope to see you next week.